The Equilibrium Podcast with your host, Ryan Young. I am the host and producer of Equilibrium, a radio show on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal, and I am fascinated by ecology and the human-animal relationship, and I want to inform you. If you're an environmental activist, scientist, or just somebody that is concerned about the future health of the planet's ecology, this is a podcast for you. You are listening to the Ecolibrium Radio Podcast. My name is Ryan Young, and a new book has come out called The Edible Ecosystem Solution, and it's written by Zach Lokes, and it's published by New Society Publishers. Maybe you're familiar with New Society Publishers, but they're a great publisher for all things environmental, all things ecological. At least in Canada, they were one of the first publishers to feature books about eco-homes and permaculture and environmental thought, eco-feminism. They were pretty groundbreaking as a publisher. And they continue to publish groundbreaking books. The Edible Ecosystem Solution, Growing Biodiversity in Your Backyard and Beyond, is really a kind of a manual and kind of a manifesto at the same time. Perhaps in the spirit of a manifesto, but aspects of a manual at the same time. And uh, it's essentially the idea of transforming where we live by creating edible ecosystems all around us. And of course, towns and cities have lots of parks and they may have bike lanes or bike paths. Um, They may have public buildings with green space around them. Uh, And then of course, towns and cities have you know, especially suburbs, have um, a certain amount of property around each home where people garden and often people grow ornamental things, ornamental flowers, ornamental trees. But Zach Loke's vision is to really encourage people to grow food and grow food in a permaculture approach, which would be a permanent agriculture approach. So not something that needs so much maintenance, but things more like fruit trees, berry bushes, um, grapevines, perennial herbs, or perennial flowers, various perennial food plants, or medicinal plants, or any kind of useful plants or trees. Um, And that will not only benefit humanity because we will be more food secure, we will reconnect with our food, but will also benefit biodiversity because uh, all of these uh, food plants uh, tend to attract uh, animals. They tend to be good for pollinating insects and so on and so on. So you can see the benefits. And actually, I worked with Zach Lokes on a project uh, in my hometown of St. Anne de Bellevue, where we were funded by Tree Canada with their Edible Trees program to create a food forest. We had already created something that we call the Piscyclab Gourmand, which is kind of like the 
gourmet bike path. And um, the idea was that we would plant many fruit trees and berry bushes all along this bike path that people could stop and partake from, you know, and that, uh, you know, whether it be cherries, plums, apples, Asian pears, grapes, that they'd be able to do this. And um, I met Zach after he published his first book, The Permaculture Market Garden. And he said, you know, why don't you take your fruit trees and create other layers to this scenario so that you have the fruit trees above in the top layer, then you have uh, dwarf fruit trees below that, or may, maybe berry bushes, and then below that you have various edible ground covers, and then maybe you have grapevines climbing through that and onto the fruit trees. And so we did a project like that. Not a huge fruit forest, but, um, you know, I don't know, something like 50 or 60 feet long. And um, it's been going great. And just as we planned, now every time of the growing season, there usually is something that you can eat when you visit this food forest. So yeah, so I'm, I'm a big uh, believer in the edible ecosystem solution. And yeah, so without any longer of a wait, let's get to the interview with Zach Lokes. I reached him uh, in, I believe he lives in Cobden, Ontario. This is Ryan Young for CKUT 90.3 FM. We're doing a, an interview today with Zach Lokes. And Zach Lokes is uh, a farmer and an author, an expert in permaculture, who has just come out with a book called The Edible Ecosystem Solution. And it's a little bit of a follow-up to The Permaculture Market Garden, which was his first book. And both books are published by New Society Publishers. I know Zach because Zach and I have worked on a project together in St. Anne de Bellevue to create a food forest. And um, I'm really excited that this book is out now. So how, how are you doing today, Zach? Hey, Ryan. Great to be on the show. And yeah, no, I'm doing well. Uh, hunkered down here in the the winter doing some different project work and kind of helping get the book out there so I'm psyched to be on the phone with you and kind of talk more about this uh, great material. Let's go back to your first book and and you know I guess because both are published by New Society Publishers did you seek out New Society Publishers for both these books or did the you know how did that relationship start? Yeah, I mean, it just, you know, kind of emerged um, through uh, common interest and uh, a contact originally, actually, that, you know, introduced my work to them. And then uh, they were interested in what I was doing around um, the permaculture market garden and, and especially, you know, uh, excited about the, the permabed system, which, you know, I innovated as a way of really maximizing the capacity for me to achieve my goals of integrating uh, annual vegetables uh, and perennial fruits, berries, herbs, nuts, um, at that time really oriented around market gardening. Um, but then that book, The Permaculture Market Garden, actually evolved to really uh, showcase how to transition, you know, any um, rural property for the goal of being a homestead or a commercial small farm um, from scratch. So it, it goes through the visioning process, how to, um, you know, approach mapping a new piece of land with the goal of creating a diversified business model. And then the, the last hundred pages really focuses in on the permabed system, which is an organizational framework for how we can lay out a landscape 
to be highly efficient and yet very biodiverse uh, and profitable as well. And then, you know, that's kind of the, the, the way that relationship got started. And then, you know, this, this new book came along. Uh, it, it was born from uh, a lot of it from actually, um, you know, deeper experiences. But then uh, as I did uh, book tours and traveled and taught quite a bit for my first book, um, what I was noticing is just the, the, the amount of underutilized land everywhere and all these opportunities. So I, I approached New Society again about this book that was kind of burning inside of me about how we can really start to maximize all this bits of green space in rural, suburban, and urban areas and transition it to that edible biodiversity that's always been so critical to human success uh, from our, you know, culture to our economy. Um, just the the foundation of us is edible biodiversity. So they like that idea. And, and that's where the, the edible ecosystem solution uh, book came from. And, and I guess, you know, there's there are times in the book, uh, and, I, and I read it, of course, and I really enjoyed it. Um, there are times in the book where you, you talk about, you know, that is our essence, that our, our you know, that originally we were kind of hunter-gatherer or growers and gatherers that, you know, had to understand the local biodiversity and even, I guess, you know, helped propagate that as well. And um, and you talk about, you know, there being a crisis in the world in terms of biodiversity. So, you know, maybe try to frame it for me in terms of your overall vision, because I think it, it is quite a powerful vision when, when you look at it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I really like to base um, the work that, that I do and the work that we're doing with the Ecosystem Solution Institute around um, really core parts of our human experience. And biodiversity has always been the cornerstone of our success and edible and useful biodiversity especially. And so the book tracks a look at how humans evolved and our cultures emerged within areas of high uh, edible and useful biodiversity. We had always been attracted to these areas. You know, they, they, they drew us. Um, these 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 areas of uh, richness and you know the fertile crescent is an area that had you know uh, a plethora of plants and animals that were were there and then were domesticated by humans and then spread throughout the world and um, you know the wild apple forests which there's you know some remnants left in in Eurasia um, but the these wild apple forests had tons of fruit growing and understories of berries and herbs and this is where hops come from and and these were areas that humans were intrinsically attracted to because they were diverse and abundant and um, and our bodies and our minds and our culture are, are so intrinsically linked to that diversity because it was always there as a part of our existence and our transformation over, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. So it's only recently with this, you know, um, global economy, um, with big agribusiness, with the transformation of our landscapes that we actually see what I like to refer to as a, a segregation of human habitat from our production zones. And, you know, where we used to live close to where um, our food comes from and close to this diversity, now we live separate from it. 
And not only are we separated from this uh, diversity in the landscapes that produce our food, but that those landscapes are actually no longer diverse. So we're no longer directly benefiting from our production landscapes, but we're also no longer having production landscapes that can benefit people and society in other ways. And that's where I really get into, you know, the, the understanding of ecosystem services and this really amazing and powerful concept where we can see that an ecosystem, whether it's a wetland or a woodland or a prairie, has goods and services that it provides to the environment and ecology as a whole, but that humans are a big recipient uh, and, and benefactor of these services such as you know air production and, and air and water purification and organic matter production and sequestration of carbon and the mitigation of climate change and the reduction of the urban heat island through microclimate creation and regulation of moisture and um, wind breaks on farms and and then of course those wonderful and tangible things that we can all immediately associate as a good and a service from from ecosystems and from landscapes, food production, you know, pears and apples and, and uh, kiwis and raspberries and, and basil and, you know, you name it. So this re remembrance of that past, this, this understanding that this is so critical to our uh, success, um, it, it is where we came from. And that even today, if we reintegrate uh, these production landscapes with where we live, we can rebuild true human habitat, which is being surrounded by edible, abundant biodiversity with all of those services that those landscapes can provide us, not just the food, but also, you know, the sense of well-being that they provide, you know, the reduction in anxiety that they provide, the higher nutrition they provide. You know, what does it mean for children walking to school to pick highly nutrient dense fruits and berries on their way to class so that their minds are fired up and inspired by the experience and that nutrition is just fresh off the plant going right into them? This being just an example of uh, another benefit of having this landscape around us as opposed to apart from us and having this landscape be biodiverse as opposed to being a monoculture. So that's really at the core of the book is a re-understanding of our origin and the bright future that's possible. And and in the uh, dedication to the book at the beginning, uh, you know, you say, if this book results in encouraging a reader to plant a single food plant guild, it has succeeded. If it results in the new gardeners sharing their experience with neighbors who then plant a single food plant guild, it has contributed to a peaceful revolution. So the, I think that's a, a great way to start a book. And, um, you know, and I guess for listeners, we need to know what a guild is, but also, you know, why did you write that in the book? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great statement to, to put in here, Ryan. And, and yeah, so, I mean, just to start, so a guild is a companionship of, of three or more um, entities. And, and, and in this case, we could refer to it as a garden. So the, the fundamental understanding of guild could be three different plants in a garden that work well together. This could be three different vegetables that work well as an annual guild. It could be three different perennials, those plants that survive our winters and come back year after year and grow and put on more woody material. Um, it could be um, a guild between, um, you know, an, an, an animal and a plant and, you know, a human. We can understand guild in many different ways, but in this case, we're really talking about the creation of a, an ecosystem 
on a small piece of land, uh, five by five, and we call this, you know, an ecosystem spot. It's just five by five, 25 square feet, and an association of different plants that work well together that act like an ecosystem. So if we look at a woodland ecosystem, we see that it has layered trees and bushes and shrubs and herbs and things like that. So we're creating that layering of diversity in a guild design on a small piece of land that's a micro landscape. And it's helping to, the plants are helping each other to um, work well as a unit. So the bushes might shade the bark of the fruit tree to prevent sun scald from the winter glare off the snow. The herb ground covers might creep and help hold the soil and protect it from the compaction of heavy rain events and erosion. Um, they're creating pollinator habitats, so there's um, lots of wonderful bees and other insects around when it's time for the fruit trees to be pollinated. These, this is what the concept of guild means. So, and then to get to the second part, there, you know, this this is ultimately the the goal and the and the vision of the book and of the work you know that we're we're really starting to do more and more um at the ecosystem solution institute is 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 build change in our society so the goal of the book is to you know have people be re-inspired about our origins um to understand some step-by-step -step processes of how to take a five-by-five -five piece of lawn and turn it into uh, an edible perennial guild spot. Um, and then to look at the, the, the kind of hidden magic and secrets behind a spot of a guild, a, a small micro ecosystem, and really understand its power and potential to actually create bigger change in your yard, in your community, in your city or your neighborhood, your, your region. And part of that change is you know, understanding how powerful ecosystems are at dispersing and creating new ecosystems and understanding that, you know, this is a natural phenomena um, of plants kind of propagating themselves, of spreading seeds, of suckers, of, of spreading into, into adjacent areas so that, you know, if you have a successful guild that's, you know, abundant and delicious and, and, and hearty to your winters and you love it and you enjoy it, like it's going gonna, it's gonna to probably be successful on its own. But even more so, and kind of, you know, looking back to our conversation earlier, where we talked about, say, the wild fruit forests of Eurasia and people and, and our power to domesticate and spread plants all over the world, humans are these massively successful uh, dispersers of plants, you know, uh, corn and wheat and soy and rice and potatoes, you know, from their perspective, they're like, hey, man, we really succeeded at getting humans to <laughs> spread us all around the world, right? You know, just to kind of make light of it. But we have this power. And so if we combine this power that we have for dispersing plants and we combine that with the underutilized space that's everywhere in our, in our street medians, in our um, yards, in our parks, in our farm fields, Anywhere where you see and we can see that there is uh, only one one crop or grass or one plant being grown, it's not layered and it's not being maximized since since, you know, we know that ecosystems actually have higher yield per square foot. We can combine this power for dispersal with this abundance of underutilized land that's everywhere and especially in and where people are living. And then we can integrate that with the 
understanding and deep-seated knowledge of our intrinsic well-being and success from biodiversity and especially edible biodiversity and use that as a catalyst for creating change and really go, wow, okay, this is the change we want to see. And as we start to see, you know, edible diversity popping up in neighborhoods, people get interested. People see that there's something going on, you know. Um, we undeniably are attracted to um, the blossoming cherries in a neighborhood and um, the fruit that's shared over a fence and um, the joy of, of seeing kids, you know, playing amongst uh, various berry bushes and herbs. And this starts to inspire and re-engage us to recreate and go forward to the future to create a new human habitat for us. So, so that's really why the book is starting with that, you know, that, that message is to, is to really um, get us going towards uh, a transitioning our underutilized green space to edible biodiversity through small actions that inspire bigger change. There's about 300 illustrations and designs by you personally in the book. Uh, so you're an illustrator, and uh, what's it like when you are able to do the art in your book as well as the text? And and were there times where the art brought new ideas to you that helped the text? Well, yeah, I mean you you hit the you hit the nail on the head there. I'm definitely you know I'm a visual learner. Um, I also you know love you know you know, deliciously written sentences and concepts. And so it really was a dance between the, the, the median and conversation that's written and that's illustrated. You know, my background is in design. So, you know, I definitely, you know, am, am interested in actual design, but then I've integrated uh, that with, you know, my fondness for illustration, like pictures, watercolors, and um, infographics, you know, creating pictures that are arranged to really teach and you know if a picture is worth you know a thousand words then what's you know what's an infographic worth and um and the way that the book is made is one that the the words and the images flow seamlessly together to create a conversation so i mean i, I this is what my goal is and maybe i don't know maybe ryan you'll you'll be able to enlighten me if i achieved it but it's it's that the the book feels like this sort of story and journey uh, even though it's sharing some really important concepts and some really technical advice, even on how to go about doing uh, uh, plantings, but that it's this 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 story and this conversation that is kind of continuing through the interchange of words and images, and that they they kind of work together in in harmony throughout the text, um, and and they inform each other for sure. The the images will often uh, illuminate. Um, a concept in a way that, you know, words simply can't. And so, you know, one of the things we do in our courses we run and the work I do with, with, with people as a, as a designer and consultant is to get people to, to work visually, uh, to work with templates that I have that are infographic templates to help them brainstorm and vision and um, to lay out their property um, spatially and on paper and, uh, you know, through software, as opposed to just planning uh, with the written word to actually let that interplay work. So the book is this, this definitely this, this, you know, mixed media and kind of word and image uh, interplay to help create something that's accessible. And actually I would add that, that part of the work is that access that, um, you know, I had this, this moment um, with my first book where I was, uh, I was in Cyprus and um, I was out visiting this farm and I, you know, I always kind of carry a copy of my book around with me. And, and so I, 
you know, I, I saw this one guy out in a field, this older farmer, and um, I just walked up to him and, you know, he didn't really speak a lick of English and I didn't, I couldn't speak to him either. So, you know, we kind of are just like pointing and, you know, I'm just kind of appreciating, you know, the, the grapes and the soil turning and, and, uh, and then I, you know, I hand him my book just as a gift there. Cause he had actually given me some grapes and I just watched him kind of flip through the book and, you know, nod along and, you know, you know, intrinsically understanding the knowledge because like all great ideas, you know, they, they belong to the earth and, and we can all understand them, you know, if we, if we, if we look at them and because of the pictures, he was able to immediately recognize um, concepts and ideas and appreciate them for their, you know, inherent value, um, even though he couldn't read a single word on the page. And so that has uh, catalyzed me that this, this new form of writing that I began with my first book has carried over even more into my second book. And it's something that's so near and dear because it's transferable. You know, um, you can bring it to South Africa where there's 11 official languages and, you know, 30 or odd more, you know, dialects, right? Because it's picture-based, it's infographic based, and um, it's, it's something that's a teachable tool. So, and, you know, we really have taken that approach at the Ecosystem U School as well um, by creating e-booklets and lots of visuals um, that help teach so that we're, we're creating a lot of good access to um, the knowledge. And, and, um, and that's what we want so we can create change everywhere in the world, you know. And, you know, you, you have traveled uh, quite extensively around the world doing uh, permaculture type workshops. Is that some of where you got your ideas uh, in thinking that there was all this available space? Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I so so for instance, you know, flying over neighborhoods in South Africa, going to do work there, the land is organized the same as flying over neighborhoods in uh, Dawson City where I was doing work, and yet the places couldn't be you know further apart, you know. And they couldn't be more different in terms of climate. But what's amazing about building design based on natural principles is that it's applicable everywhere because climate is everywhere. And humans have organized land in the same way everywhere. We're all the same species, right? We, we, we've, we've organized and created the same layout. And so it's just opportunity. I see it as a blank page. It's blank pages. It's open graph paper. It's just waiting for us to integrate the principles of edible ecosystem design into all of these small spots, into these um, long strips, into these uh, open spaces, into these underutilized farmland. Um, it's just waiting to apply these principles. So, you know, that's a big part of the mission. You know, and, the, and this is what we're doing with our, you know, our new initiative is that we've actually taken these workshops, like you were saying, I, I, I you know, I've been around to teach workshops in a lot of different places, but we've taken all these workshops now and we're integrating them into a new online school uh, called Ecosystem U, U for University. And we're creating a school that's all about building our garden savvy and the greater conversation around 
uh, ecosystem education so that it's going to be a resource for going and learning how to create a riparian buffer strip. If you're a farmer and you want to keep, you know, your your cattle out of the stream, uh, it's a space to go and learn about how to create micro uh, gardens in urban areas. It's a space to go and understand how to um, design a property from scratch. Right now, we're we're running an edible property design course um, that's you know looking at how to uh, take a property, uh, go out there, vision what you want to do, uh, map it so that you can understand how you can really integrate in an efficient, organized way. Different types of diversity, different enterprises that you might want to create food security for yourself, or even if you want to become, you know, a small um, food-based business or, um, you know, other ecological business in your neighborhood. So, you know, recreating the tools to get out all of these principles. This is really the work and the vision of the book is that the natural principles are the same everywhere and we can apply these designs to landscapes everywhere. And so if we are successful in one little spot, we can be successful in many spots and inspire our neighbors to make change and propagate the plants right in situ and share them, that any spot can be a point of conversation, a point of design, a point of um, spreading plants. I mean, we're, we're essentially advocating for, you know, citizen scientists and change makers uh, and stewards to emerge, you know, from this this moment, you know, I mean, let's let's look at the project that we did in St. Anne for a moment, Ryan, like this spot is the most edible biodiverse place, this bike lane area in the entire area. You know, it may be the most biodiverse spot in the entire area in Montreal, save the botanical gardens. Right. I think it's very possible. Yeah. And so, and what is, and how cool is that, right? To be a little nerdy, like how cool, is, you know, we talk about conservation and we talk about conservation areas and how important they are, but this is an agrobiodiversity conservation area. If not in name officially, it is officially a conservation area of our food heritage, you know? Absolutely. And uh, I mean, uh, let's talk about food forests for a little bit. I, I definitely wanted to ask you, because you've traveled a bit, uh, where you saw one of the best food forests, maybe I guess it was in a hotter country, but that where you were just amazed at, uh, at how much uh, edible biodiversity there was around you. Well, I mean, I mean, certainly in terms of wild uh, ecosystems, you know, um, you know, my work, I've seen some really amazing wild ecosystems down actually in, in Mexico and Guatemala. Um, but they're 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 everywhere. It's it's you know the there's remnants of them everywhere. I mean even even in Winnipeg, you know one of the the parks just outside of the city of Winnipeg, it's a, it's a little remnant park. But the park wasn't planted. It's a it's a small park, but it's actually a remnant wild ecosystem. And if you you go there in the in the right season, there's hazelnuts, there's uh, uh, choke cherries, there's raspberries, you know. And 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 this is there's significant yield. I mean, I, I mean, I love choke cherries. It's it's a wild food. The berries are a little bit smaller, but they're super nutritious. They're super delicious. We make jams out of them. We make liqueurs out of them. You know, they they're incredible. And the yield off a single choke cherry uh, shrub can be outstanding. Even so, it's understanding that you know we can have parks even that are yielding a bounty of food, and 
um, and that these little treasures are are all over the place. But you know, one of the the ecosystems that you know, I haven't actually been to myself, but I would love to uh, uh, continue my research there in person is these wild fruit forests in um, in Kazakhstan and or you know around uh, in the mountains there because these are these are an area that um, a lot of our fruit trees that we hold near and dear came from, such as the apple and. Um, you know, this is the the diversity that we we find. You know, there you you go to these ancient forests like this, and um, you know you have little yellow apples, and you have little red apples, and you have large green apples, and you have pink blushed apples, and you have purple fleshed apples, and you have all these different apples. So, you know, this is pretty cool to see. And in in the, the northern climate, because we both live in the northern climate, and and we both uh, you know spend most of our time uh, there. Um, you know, I think a lot of people forget at a, how many fruits can be grown in this area, and mm. and and so maybe talk a little bit about that and about how most people just typically buy their fruits from the grocery store, and often that fruit is not local. Yeah, totally. No, there's there's so much potential. I mean, that's that's part of what we're doing as well is just trialing things. You know, I. I like to have little gravestones for everything that we've killed successfully as well as what survived because we want to find out the potential for our area. And this is part of the work that the book is putting out there is, you know, trials guilds. And if they're successful, you know, have a metal tag um, made for your plants so that that data, that information stays in the community and that we know that this plant is site suitable that it can survive the winter and that it's valuable to people in the area. And then we can spread these plants around and, and, and continue their success in other areas and other yards and other parks, et cetera. And um, this is, you know, this is, this is part of the, the movement is seeing that we have a lot of potential in the North and, you know, and I, I don't, I don't believe that everybody should become a, you know, diehard gardener. You know, like we all have different life work that's important and valuable and and um, an asset to society. And we don't need to all become diehard gardeners again. I, I just as I don't think we need to go back to the past and become hunter gatherers again. You know, I, I, I'm not an idealist in that way. Like, I really believe that we should we should take from the past what was amazing and great and what is so intrinsic to our human nature and we should you know look forward to the future with the technology and opportunity and 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 um and obstacles that we want to meet head on and build a newer brighter future and and i don't think that is everyone becoming a diehard gardener i think it's understanding that planting a single tree in your yard is a major impact because if you take any neighborhood in the world and if every person planted one fruit tree and those fruit trees are pollinating each other and they're different varieties and each each place is, is tending and caring and loving for their fruit tree, you know, you have neighborhoods that now are producing hundreds of pounds of fruit in each yard and hundreds of pounds of fruit that they can then harvest and share and then create companionship. And this is where the word guild comes back because here's another type of guild. It's the guild between um, this house and another house and a third house. And one is producing, you know, copious amounts of pears and the other has a wonderfully beautiful carrot patch. And the third is, you know, tending beehives and they all get honey 
carrots for the winter supply for the school kids and um, delicious pears, right? So this is this other type of guild. And then there's this, you know, bigger guild where you start seeing this community or city then companioning with other communities and cities in different parts of the world but in similar hardiness zones, in similar climates, because of course, you know, the Western sides of continents all around the world have similar climate and the same with the East and the same with the, the center of continents. Um, and of course the mirror images happening, you know, in, in, in the, in the global South, you know, on the other side of the equator. So what happens when we create sister cities, you know, and we, and we partner up around the, the ethics and conversation and movement of being edible and biodiverse and the food security that comes from that, the ecological health care and wellness that comes from that, such as the research on forest bathing and the greater resilience for society that's producing its core essentials near to home. And that that becomes, again, this this pivot point for us as a as a society and as individuals and families. And so in the book, um, you do give some tools to people like how to, you know, sort of figure out what their soil type is like and how to figure out where the sun, the sunniest spot might be on their garden patch. And mm -hmm. um, why, why did you do that? Well, yeah, I mean, so what I wanted to do here is, is inspire people um, to, to think about these bigger questions about edible biodiversity and human origin and then provide some key tools um, so that they can actually go and create a five by five edible ecosystem, uh, an abundant and beautiful little piece of land uh, and to do it in a successful way. So, you know, teaching some of these key skills and, and, you know, I wanted to approach it from a way of really kind of straightforward skill building and, and, you know, not get too technical, you know, not, you don't have to use apps and GIS and, but there's, there's very straightforward ways of starting to assess a piece of land and to uh, go about selecting plants and planting it. And it, um, it can be a very step-by-step um, -step process that is a, you know, possible for anyone anywhere, because again, these principles are applicable everywhere. You know, you, you use actually Central Park as one of your, your, your kind of possible places in the book. Mm -hmm. And uh, you discuss all that unused space and, so maybe mm -hmm. describe a, a little bit about that. And I, that applies as well, I guess, to like the bike path project in St. Anne de Bellevue and so on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of opportunities and, and um, you know, one of the opportunities is, is that we have all of these uh, urban trees, um, but they're all getting old and um, they're starting to senesce. And in some places there's such a monoculture that, you know, uh, an insect or a fungus or some disease can come in and just, wipe it out very quickly or uh, if it isn't completely wiped out we have a band-aid solution of kind of holding on to our trees you know such as happening with um with the dutch elm in in uh in manitoba and other areas where we're holding on to them but it's really quite expensive and one of the opportunities is that, that we have all these rows of trees these ornamental trees and they're all getting older and there's nothing happening in between them and and yet we're mowing around them all and so by connecting the dots, so to speak, with other layers of diversity between these larger trees, we're creating an understory that's uh, productive and useful to the rest of the ecosystem in the park or in the landscape as a whole. 
Um, but it's also building the potential for when these trees are going to go, um, creating an understory just like a wild forest would have, an understory that's ready to spring up and replace it so that we don't have these situations where we go from you know, all these big, beautiful urban street trees to nothing. And usually uh, a tree is not replanted in a city until um, a tree has been cut down. And then what they do is they go in and plant a tree and it's usually a larger, uh, larger tree overall, but still it's not nearly the, you know, as big as what was there. Um, but it's a, it's a large enough tree that it's quite expensive to plant, you know, um, averaging maybe around, you know, eight or $900 a tree to put in a replacement tree. Um, when we can, you know, get high quality fruit trees, uh, depending on their size from, you know, between 10 and a hundred dollars per tree, you know, to have it planted and protected with a rodent guard and, you know, well mulched in and even fertilized. So um, the affordability of integrating uh, future canopy trees, integrating edible biodiversity uh, in the form of different varieties of trees, building the resilience in these landscapes, because we're not depending on one variety, um, integrating herbs and other um, berries and other types of plants within that plan and that urban forest design. Uh, it, it's such a great opportunity, essentially. So, and, you know, one of the examples, I guess, with, with the park, the Central Park in New York, you know, when I was there doing research, um, there had recently been a uh, an overhaul of an area of the park. And so much money had been invested in this this overhaul. And yet, you know, the, the end product of that massive, you know, investment of millions of dollars was new sod and uh, chip mulching around some of these big trees and um, some repaving of of a, of a, an area. So, what happens when we kind of change the conversation around how we spend our money in communities, and especially not just yes, let's talk about how we spend our money in terms of can we put more money into um, projects that build resilience and community well-being and things like that because they have so many ecosystem services, but also how do we have a, a new conversation about how we spend money that's going already towards park management, green space management, and and how can we get so much more from these these dollars and cents being spent and create you know uh, a new green kind of understanding, a new um, edible biodiversity ethic in the land management uh, in our communities. Absolutely. I mean, uh, that's that's the the thing is that so much of so much money is spent on mowing grass. And when you create some sort of kind of, you know, like like you were saying, a small understory of, let's say, bushes, typically, yes, there's probably still some maintenance involved. But, you know, once once the understory is established, it's kind of done, right? It takes care of itself. And, and, you know, it's, that's what it is. I mean, and that's the first thing, you know, these are the first challenges that people talk to. Oh, well, what about the maintenance of it? And, you know, um, and, and it's looking at the, it's first, it's changing the mindset about what maintenance entails. And then it's looking at the opportunities. So, uh, you know, I'll give another example is uh, a college um, landscape that we installed with educational signage and this, the same sort of idea of layered biodiversity underneath existing trees. So here's a row of trees. These are, you know, maybe 20-year-old trees. And on the south side, they go immediately into a, a drainage ditch 
um, that's allowing kind of water to pass. And then on the other side, there's, you know, a lawn space going up towards one of the main campus buildings. Um, so as it stands, this is an area where, you know, someone is mowing around these trees and down and managing into this ditch. And what we've done now is we've integrated some some understory fruit trees like cherries, some berry bushes, um, herbs and flowers and, and other creeping ground covers, um, and then created a nice clean mulched edge on the lawn side so that someone can now come mow that green space and just make a nice long mow right along the edge instead of having to go around things. And the creeping ground covers are kind of integrating into the ditch. And, and, and now, you know, you've created a low growing ground cover that doesn't need to have uh, mowing and management in this area at all. The, the management of the whole space from the mowing point of view has been greatly simplified and um, is time saving. And then, of course, you have all these other benefits that are that are coming from what we actually did and what we actually planted, um, the fruit that's getting used in the cafeteria, you know, in the future years and the, the education. This is being used as a um, as a like an outdoor classroom space, as a living laboratory for people to kind of see and experience different aspects. Different teachers can integrate it into the curriculum as they see fit. Like there's just all these amazing opportunities that come from it. And it didn't create a logistical nightmare for grounds management. And because it's working with, and this is a, a concept that I that I you know teach a lot about, it's working with the common lines of the landscape, those lines that already exist. We're not trying to change the framework of how people manage land already. Common lines are roads and walkways, the edges of buildings, the pre-existing layout of the landscape. Work within those. Working within the common lines is planting in between pre-existing trees to create a new integrated edible hedge or a linear food forest. You know, you know, I've done this along my own driveway up to my my house. It's a, a long, um, sinuous food forest along the driveway. You know, and one hose and a quick connect and two lines of drip tape, and the whole thing is you know exploding with water it might need in a drought and you know abundantly productive and it's very simple it's working within the lines that already exist so it need not be a management problem um, to integrate biodiversity into our landscapes in urban suburban and rural areas so so zach i guess two, two things i'd like to know uh, one is uh, where can people get the book and and uh, find out more information and i understand you're also giving some online courses yeah, for sure. I'm, you know, the book's available, you know, in, in most bookstores. And so we always encourage people to, you know, go to a local small bookstore and ask to bring it in. Um, you can also get it through uh, the Ecosystem Solution Institute. Um, so that's just, you know, uh, ecosystem uh, solution and then institute.com. Um, or you can go to, uh, you know, zacklokes.com and link over. And, you know, we can pick it up for a limited time. I think we're, you know, just at least for another few months, we're doing signatures inside the book. Uh, if you order from us, just to kind of create a little bit of, you know, extra fun in the process of getting your book. And then, um, yeah, we're, you know, the Ecosystem U is launched. We have uh, courses that are running right now. We have a Home Garden Pro design course. This is, um, you know, a course that has a lot of information on building quality gardens from scratch and yard and field layouts and learning about techniques such as season extension and pest management and succession planting. It's all about, you know, creating pro gardens at home. And 
We have uh, courses uh, running on um, just guild design on really understanding this concept of the guild spot and how to go about designing, you know, a five by five guild and then how you can create patterns of these different guilds to create a larger landscape. So um, there's also, you know, a community we're building around the school where people can chat and exchange ideas and share ideas and, you know, be part of um, just this building movement. So definitely if anyone is interested in the, the, you know, what we've been talking about, you know, we really recommend you check out our new online school, uh, ecosystemu.com. So just ecosystem and then the letter u.com. And uh, just for a limited time right now, uh, if, you, if you check in, we have 25% off coupons for your first course uh, with the ecosystem U um, platform. So we uh, would love to see you there. And, you know, always you can reach out to us by email and uh, by social media. You know, we're on Instagram and all these other social media platforms. And we'd love to hear and see what people are doing and growing and kind of, you know, joining in the conversations that uh, we're all having around diversity and food production and creating a more sustainable, resilient future. So thanks so much for joining me today. This was great to, to hear about the book. Have a great day. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much, Ryan. As always, it's been a pleasure. And that was my interview with Zach Lokes. Zach Lokes is an award-winning educator, designer, author, consultant, and grower who specializes in edible ecosystem design around the world. He is also the director of the Ecosystem Solution Institute and the author of another book called The Permaculture Market Garden. Today we were talking to him about his new book, which is called The Edible Ecosystem Solution, Growing Biodiversity in Your Backyard and Beyond, and it's published by New Society Publishers. You've been listening to the Ecolibrium Radio Podcast. Have a great day.